0: Welcome to Highball Politics, what America's bartenders are hearing. I'm David Kochel. And I'm Rob Stutzman. Each week, David and I are interviewing
1: a bartender in a different U.S. city and state to find out what people there really care about when it
0: comes to politics and culture. Why bartenders? Because bartenders have the pulse of their patrons, and therefore the pulse of America, real America.
1: In every episode, we will feature some
0: incredible cocktail recipes, which you can find in the show notes. If you're a bartender or if you'd like to nominate your favorite bartender to be on our podcast, please email us at highballpolitics at gmail.com.
1: Today we're talking with Stacy Rudolph, who bartends at Rainbow
0: Tavern in Maupin, Oregon. But before we chat with Stacy, let's get a bit of context on what's been going on in the news and why Oregon is important right now to what's going on in America. So Rob, set the scene for us.
1: All right, here we go to Oregon. First trip to the Pacific Northwest. You know, Oregon is not an early primary state. It's not really a competitive presidential state any longer. Bush tried hard to win it in 04 against Kerry and didn't quite do that. But it's definitional in in a lot of ways when you talk about the influence of the urban center of Portland, which really became a proxy ground for Antifa and Proud Boys to square off back in 2020. Uh, I think a lot of what people from outside the West think of the West is defined by what they think of Portland. But we're going to go to the smallest town we've ever been to, in mm-hmm. Maupin, Oregon. And this is bright red country. This is very conservative, Central Oregon, which looks a lot like Eastern Oregon all the way to the Idaho border. Very conservative, very different than the urban Core of Portland. Then we're going to get some interesting takes on what that tension is like being there in the
0: super small town, but only two hours from Portland. Yeah, let's get right into Trump country and see what's going on. We haven't seen a lot of that yet on this podcast, so it's great that we're going to pick it up this week. Here we go. Let's bring on our guest, Stacy Rudolph, who bartends at Rainbow Tavern in Maupin, Oregon. Stacy, welcome. Hi there. Maupin, Oregon. Cochle, did you even know there was a Maupin? I did not. I had to ask Stacy for the pronunciation because it could, you know, you never know. So first of all, before you tell us about Rainbow Tavern, tell us about Maupin. How big a town are we talking about? Where is it located in Oregon?
2: It's um in central Oregon between kind of Mount Hood and Bend. It's a town of just over 420 residents, year-round residents, but it's on a section of the Deschutes River that's super big with uh, whitewater rafting. So in the summer, our population booms. It's a big touristy fun spot. And then the winter, we have some fishermen trickling in and out. There's a K through 12 school here in town. We don't have a stoplight or really any stop signs on the main drag. No sheriff's department out here we're very secluded about 40 miles from any real grocery store or restaurants besides what we have little in here
0: we've done a couple of these shows at least one i'm thinking of in miami that could probably host your entire town in the bar by itself (laughs) and so this is a record for the smallest town that we've been to it'll be interesting part of the conversation i think so tell us now about rainbow tavern how long has it been there you know, what's the vibe like? How many people you get through there?
2: It's a divey spot, or it used to be a lot more divey. It's the only tavern in town. We have a couple other restaurants that have alcohol as well, but we're the only tavern. And in Oregon, you have to serve food with liquor. So we also wow. have okay. food menu. But we have the second oldest liquor license in Oregon from 1935. Wow. We are very close to the school. So if we ever lost our liquor license, we are not getting it back. So kind of grandfathered in. It, the building used to be horse stables. It's the only building in town that survived a big fire back in the day, and it's a pretty cool history. The bummer is there's the insulation's terrible because the old building, so it's always very hot or very cold <laughs> depending on the weather. But it's a neat spot. It's always had private owners until I guess March of '22. Mount Hood Brewing bought it, and they own the lease for Timberline on, on Mount Hood. Kind of a big deal and they've fixed it up quite a bit the previous owners were already working on that but they've done so much for the menu and for the aesthetic in there
1: even in and progress cannot be stopped but that sounds good sounds like it's a good development yeah. we're going to talk about some of those it, it, years in a little while
2: the new owners have a spot in their heart for the vibe so they haven't tried to change
1: nice too much. good for them that's to their credit they, yes. can, they know what they're doing okay but you've been a bartender for how long
2: this is my fourth year. I started in February of 2020 at the Rainbow Tavern.
1: All right. And you have a cocktail that is your specialty that you like to make on birthdays. Share that with us.
2: Yes. It's my favorite. It's called a key lime kazi. It tastes like a key lime pie. And I do it as a shot generally. It's most requested as a shot. But sometimes when people come in and try to order a Midori Sour or something gross on their birthdays, on their 21st, I give them a... But it's just meddled lime, simple syrup, and uh, whipped vodka. It's the best. I could drink those all day, and I do sometimes.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, no one needs to know. Yeah, see, Kochel's getting excited. Anything, anything, anything that's sweet. sweet. Yeah, yes. yeah, it's a it's a
0: well-established name here on Highball Politics. <laughs> and, I would day-drink one of those. Well, I didn't have the recipe at a time, so I couldn't make it today. But now, now that I that, know... Day's not over, it's Day's not over. There's some goals. So small town. Sounds like it
1: booms in the summer when you got the rafting. What are the regular patrons? Who, who are they? What do they do?
2: We have a lot of actual cowboys and ranchers. There's a lot of farms and cattle out here. So that's the lifestyle that I wasn't raised with. They're really good, solid workers and friends. They come in and have their Coors Light. Gosh, we have Coors Light on draft in a can and in a bottle. And every shift, someone has a preference of each.
1: Coors Light any way you want it.
2: People would riot if we took Coors Light off draft. It is big here.
1: That leads to a quick question, though. What about Bud Light?
2: Oh, gosh. That was a whole situation. (laughs) That was a big deal. Was that a couple months ago? I got really frustrated a couple times because we do have transgender people hiding in plain sight here but they don't want to make a deal out of it because it is more conservative mentality in mopin But when people would be insensitive about who's sitting around them for instance I had a table of about 10 locals they ordered a round of Bud Light bottles as a gag and I was embarrassed because are a table on either side of them that's the only people that were in the whole bar And they were just hooting and hollering about it. And the people from out of town were like, gosh, I was embarrassed about them making such a huge joke. I remember one of them called it franny fluid and I could have, I could have died. I could have actually died embarrassment.
1: So this was like the locals doing that. But then this kind of goes to what the mix is often in the bar is that was rafters or tourists were at the other table.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, does that culture clash? happen frequently or is that kind of a one off
2: it kind of happens. nothing comes of it nobody gets upset and i really appreciate that there's not anyone really arguing or making a big deal if someone is upset they would probably i imagine just sweep it under the rug like i have it's been very few and far between i feel like i need to say something if someone is being offensive
0: Those civility rules, but it still has some people on pins and needles. And someone like you, who's kind of paying attention to everything, has got to kind of be a a little bit of a hall monitor and make sure that it doesn't go off the rails. You're really sensitive to this stuff because you've got a couple of different cultures that might be prepared to clash in, in your bar, and you've just got to make sure it stays cool, right?
2: Right. And one thing that I've noticed in the last few years since the 2020 election, I guess, everyone kind of shut up about it, about most political stuff and religion too out here because we kind of realized with the whole COVID shutdown and everyone getting sick around Maupin, nothing touched us here. We're so small and secluded. We're so far away from everything. Outside politics and conflicts don't touch us here really. And so people just kind of don't talk about it. We're talking more about local politics than they are any sort of national or global. What's the town doing about this parking situation? (laughs) And no heated arguments about that, So,
1: Do they ever argue if they should put the stop sign in since there isn't one, right?
2: Oh, nobody, nobody, no (laughs) counties have, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, it's worth noting. I mean, so Maupin is in kind of this landmass Congressional district that's very Republican. Cliff Bentz represents it now. Like you said, it's a lot of agriculture, the tourism you're talking about. So you've got the cowboys that come in. What else does anyone do there for a living?
2: That's such a good question. I only really know the people that come through my work. And it's interesting how few people I know in the town. If they don't come in to the rainbow, I wouldn't know. But it's business owners in town, it's teachers that work here. That are coming in. There are a couple sheriffs now that live in town or sheriff's deputies that live in town that are patrons. So that's kind of cool. And they vary in age and it's interesting. But for the most part, I am friends with all of the other restaurant workers.
1: Yeah. The industry folks all hang together. Yeah.
2: For real. But in the summer, it is the raft guides are anywhere from 19 to. 50 years old. And so I only obviously know the ones that I have seen their IDs.
1: Yeah. Don't lose that liquor license. No. <laughs> yeah. You're not getting
2: it back. You're not getting it it's back. really fun to watch them over the last few years, you know, grow as humans and stuff. But the kids that come in on a raft guide, either their vacation from college or they come on the slopes in the winter or, you know, their teachers, people that have the summers off, I guess can come and be guides and that's pretty cool. But a lot of them are more left-wing. The young people are a lot less conservative, that's for sure. But I'm always surprised when I'll say something that's so obvious for me, say about gun control or whatever, and whoever I said it to disagrees because they're actually have conservative views. And I've never guessed it because they're my age. So you always think everybody agrees with you kind of thing until they don't. I'm still that mindset at 38. I'm still surprised when my opinion isn't the correct opinion of everyone.
1: So one dynamic I'm interested in, you talked about how local politics is really what's discussed. So we're going to ask you, though, here in a little bit about presidential politics. But like a lot of states the size of Oregon, you have an urban center which dominates the state. And then, of course, you have rural outlying areas, your neighbor to the North Washington state's very similarly made up. So Portland, are there feelings about Portland? You've lived in Portland, but Portland is um, a bit of a meme for homelessness, maybe progressive policies, a bit off the rails. What's the feeling about your fellow Oregonians over there in Portland amongst the patrons?
2: Oh, wow. People don't like Portland. People don't want to go to Portland. We brag about how long it's been since we've had to drive through Portland, we don't blame people for living in Portland. I mean, we're nice to Portlanders, I guess. I moved away in 2014, and I think that's right when things are getting more iffy yeah. with the homeless, and it makes me sad. I mean, at that point, I already never wanted to drive through downtown again. That has nothing for me to do with the homeless. It was a traffic situation, but... People have nothing nice to say about Portland except for maybe OMSI, which is a museum there, or the zoo is amazing. But other than that, anyone I've met on this side of Mount Hood, on the east side of Mount Hood, is not interested in ever living there again. And a lot of us have moved away from
0: there. It's like almost an ungovernable city, right? I mean, it's true in a lot of urban centers. San Francisco is getting the same Well, it's had the same rap for quite a while, and like Rob said, Seattle's the same way. So, you know, we particularly saw this stuff kind of rear its head during the summer protests in 2020 around the George Floyd killing. And that, to me, it really did divide people on kind of what the culture is in these big cities that leads to, you know... In Seattle, they even took over several city blocks of the city and declared it ungoverned. And it's kind of wild. Like, I I do feel like people really look at places like that and draw a lot of inferences about the politics there and and how wrong it is. I imagine that every small town in Oregon kind of has that same idea about what's going on in Portland.
2: Yes. What I've noticed in the last year, too, though, which I really appreciate, is the people that I overhear or that I'm having conversations with aren't mad specifically at homeless people for being homeless anymore. Right. I think that people are letting themselves become more educated about what causes homelessness and Mm -hmm. what means homelessness. And it's not all they're a piece of crap human. Cause that's what was really upsetting for me for a while was having to listen to any kind of negative word the homeless as humans, Mm -hmm. because ever since I was a kid, I noticed how many veterans there were. And that's always really upset me and the mentally ill. So I appreciate that I'm hearing from people a lot Mm -hmm. more compassion and empathy than I was a little bit ago.
1: I'm in California. And, you know, the discussion now, it's similar about San Francisco. No one wants to go there. You know, questions are being raised as to what really happens to the city. Um, Mm -hmm. If it's going to turn around, it hasn't been seen yet. What what is the thinking about Portland's future, that it it has turned a corner, it can, or it may not?
2: I'm getting the vibe from other people that we're all pretty sure it's just not going to get better right now. Yeah. Kind of like, well, shit, it is what it is. Gosh, hope it gets better.
0: When you talked about, you know, people aren't mad at the at the homeless, you know, people are aware it's mental health issues, it's substance abuse issues. And if there's a blame to be cast, it's probably on, you know, the city leadership and the law enforcement leadership, or maybe the, you know, the prosecutors who refuse to prosecute crimes. And so they get mad at the progressive ethos in these cities. And in some cases now you've got, you know, some of these politicians, mayors, of some of these cities who are starting to wake up to the fact that, you know, they got to do something a little, they got to moderate. They got to enforce laws and that sort of thing so i think if there's a resolution in the future it's that there's a broader acceptance of the fact that you know you got to get these people off the street you got to get them help but you also have to enforce the laws you shouldn't be able to go in and steal eight hundred dollars from a walgreens without being prosecuted you know because it leads to more crime i think people get that
2: well and i'm not sure if you two are aware of the um, laws that passed. it might have just been last fall not necessarily decriminalizing hard drugs. I'm not even sure what this is called. But you're allowed to have a certain amount, maybe like as far as cocaine goes and heroin and meth, like a certain amount. But if you have just over that amount, you get like a ticket and have to go to a day class. And then your second offense, you might have to do, you know, actual treatment. It's very interesting how little trouble we're getting in now for drugs. And like you said with the stealing, people driving like crazy because for some reason the cops aren't allowed to pull people over. It's weird in Portland. We get pulled over all the time out here. (laughs) The cops, they are curious why you were driving.
1: (laughs) Well, that that gets us back to the fact that you're in a very different part of Oregon than Portland. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the politics of the state and as it relates to presidential politics. So Joe Biden won Oregon, you know, easily. It was not going to be a competitive. In fact, the last time Oregon was competitive was in 2004 when the Bush campaign made a play there against Mm -hmm. Kerry. It just isn't competitive. You're not going to see presidential candidates in Oregon because it's one of the, like most states, it's not really in doubt. However, where you live is deep red. Trump country. So the former president, of course, is a candidate. Again, he's under multiple indictments. By the time this airs, there could even be another one or two. What are those cowboys and the Trumpers out there? How are they feeling about Trump these days?
2: They have nothing bad to say about Trump and nothing good to say about Biden ever, ever, ever. I've never heard Um, In fact, the first day of the indictment against Trump, somebody who has the biggest American flag in Maupin and you see it, you see it flying when you drive into town, (laughs) hung their American flag upside down.
1: Sign of
0: distress. Yes.
2: A nation in distress. And they have not moved it back.
0: They haven't moved it back.
2: And it is embarrassing.
0: So what's the more interesting topic? Is it the Biden crime family or is it Biden's too old and can't, you know, he
2: needs to eat I quitting? Think it's, the, it's the too old thing. For, really? For what I've heard. So they're not tracking Hunter Biden every day? No, no. They're just talking about Biden being, yeah, old and has no idea what's going on and whatever about slurring and slobbering. I don't really pay attention to too much of that, honestly. It just kind of irritates me. If I'm working, I shut it down. Say, oh, not at the bar.
1: Wow <laughs> what are no cooers like for you? Yeah.
2: <laughs> a couple of years ago, there was an, a really wonderful man. He's a Vietnam veteran. I love him to death. And uh, he was just going on and on about politics. I mean, she was getting louder and louder. And I finally asked him to stop. And I had two tables start applauding. It was so embarrassing. I felt terrible that I had embarrassed him, but at the same time, those people are sick of him screaming about it when they were trying to eat and enjoy themselves.
1: So what about those younger, more liberal uh, river guides that you identified? Are you picking anything up on them about how maybe they feel about Biden?
2: No, I have not heard any of them talk about it. That is kind of interesting. I haven't heard one thing or another. I don't know. I can't really. I don't think relate to the youngs anymore like I used to. (laughs) <laughs> so sometimes I don't know what they're talking about at all.
1: Well, Kochel, I can assure you it doesn't get any better on no. I to figure out what the youngs are talking <laughs> right. about. Right. No, it's not going to get easier for you. Yeah. No. So, Stacey, one of the features we always have on the podcast is naming a cocktail or a beer, uh, and they can be fictional sometimes. For a couple of the states' noted politicians, what we thought today is we're going to have you walk us through kind of the lineup of the Mount Hood Beers, and then we're going to decide which one do we assign to your senior senator, Ron Wyden, and your fairly newly elected governor, Tina Kotek.
2: All righty. So we've got a lot of the Mount Hood Brewing beers on draft, got lovely amber, a blonde. We would award Senator Wyden with the Cascadian Pale. Cascadian Pale Ale is one of our biggest sellers less hoppy, and definitely full-bodied, though.
1: Pale Ale is probably appropriate for yeah. Wyden because he might be the palest member of the United States Senate. People but... say that. Many people Fair say thing. that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Gosh, he's been around since I was a kid, too. Empiric at this point. And then the Ice Act for our new gal pal there.
1: The a... Ice Axe.
2: Yeah. It's our most popular IPA uh, asked for at every turn.
1: And just to round out the lineup here, we've got the, the Cloud Cap. You mentioned the amber smoked porter. That sounds interesting. The
2: smoked porter, actually, I liked the flavor of it. It's, of course, too heavy for me to have more than a sip of, as I'm not a beer person. I really push the blonde and the amber, though, because as a non beer drinker, I could probably have a whole glass of those.
0: The least offensive beers to the non beer drinker.
2: Yeah. I like to say gentlemen prefer blonde sometimes when someone orders that because I'm the biggest nerd around people. So,
1: see, but that's great about being in a small town tavern is you can say that because, like, if Kotchel and I said that, like, in right. a bar in Portland, we'd get canceled You'd, and probably a get brought job. up on charges. Yeah, for sure. Oh, it would, that's one crime they would prosecute. Probably. And, and also, sure. since neither of our wives are blondes, we would never say that. Right. So, right, never take Yeah.
2: I would only say, their wife is blonde That's the or the gal they're with you can I was
1: gonna say or the gal they're with you gotta be careful about that right you know when they walk in with a different (laughs) gal you don't say good to see you again
2: oh yeah no goodness I actually was talking to my girlfriend the other day asking me to describe a new couple in town I described the girl all the way to how long her eyelashes were and she goes what did the guy look like and he I said oh he was taller." Because I never look at men when I'm bartending a couple. I only look at the gal because I don't want anyone to be mad at me, honestly. That's my go-to. I just don't. I'll ask them what they keep but never look at what they look like. That's a good
1: veteran bartending <laughs> tip. I so they so, they
2: up in trouble?
1: <laughs> you know, that's great
0: advice. That should be part of the, uh, the curriculum when you become a bartender.
2: Oh, I'll have a webinar about it.
0: <laughs> well, Stacey, it sounds like if we're ever up, you know, Rob and I do a lot of rafting and you know, camping and that sort of thing. No, that's not true at all. We never do that stuff. But uh, <laughs> it sounds like the kind of place we'd like to come and hang out for sure. I would probably be headed towards Mount Hood to get a few turns in on the snowboard. But Rob doesn't. Oh, there we go. Our take. So. Well, but however, not
1: that far to your north is the great wine country of Washington, Walla Walla. Well, and then well, just a little bit to your west is the fantastic wine country
0: of Willamette right valley which are two places that i can be found on from time to time for sure do you serve any wine in the bar
2: so it isn't really ordered too often we have a really nice box brands that we get of chardonnay and red blend and that's all we
1: carry yeah it's kind of a house of wines yeah, yeah. one of those cowboys
0: ever orders a chardonnay you know there's gonna be a fight all right <laughs> oh well stacy thank you for coming on and sharing with us about uh rainbow tavern and a little bit about mopping it sounds like just you know rock ribbed america and a kind of place where you know we'd all like to pull up and order a coors light or a, yeah. a ice axe or whatever you're pouring
2: it is my happy place great pit spot too
0: life in a small town's been a popular
1: cultural item you know this couple last couple weeks thanks to jason uh al dean and the Sounds like you're giving us a real view of what life in a small town is like. And it sounds pretty pleasant yeah. and everyone's just fine.
2: It is really special. Awesome.
1: Thank you for sharing it with us. We love it. A little dip into the Pacific Northwest for the first time for us on this podcast. So yeah. Thank
2: you. Well, thanks, guys.
1: Tatchel, that's a wrap. That was fascinating. I mean, this is by far the
0: smallest town that we've pulled up a bar still out. What was your uh, takeaways? First of all, yeah, just culturally different from most of the places that we've transported ourselves into for this podcast. I did like the story about the American flag being turned upside down as a sign of distress because it is a great visual illustration of how people feel about politics right now. And this guy's so upset with the Trump indictment, the country's in distress. And he's not necessarily wrong. I mean, we're in unprecedented times and the idea that someone's coming in on the side of Trump and expressing himself that way so that the whole town knows it the whole town probably talks about it. The bartender brings it up on the podcast. I just think that's a really interesting vignette on you know what's happening, you know, in the, sort of the conversation around this presidential campaign. And from a small town perspective, they're going to take Trump's side. So it's a great small
1: town anecdote that confirms what we saw this week in the New York Times poll, national poll. We've we constantly continued continue to warn people, yeah. to, you know, Sienna be careful poll. of national polls. The Santa for the New York Times, but it shows a 54% of Republican support for Trump post indictments thus far, yep. with likely more to come. Yep. But this is an indication as to why, you know, his bedrock supporters genuinely feel that they are personally being attacked as well when he is under this scrutiny of law enforcement. Hey, real pivot though, Kotchel because, you know, we had the quick talk about Portland, which just breaks my heart. I loved Portland. Yeah, you know I mean, I, I would go to Portland every year. It's, it was pre-pandemic. I think maybe the mo- the premier food town on the West Coast, with the you know L.A. scene aside. But I mean, restaurants like Indina and Higgin have always been my favorites. I haven't been back since the pandemic, and frankly, since the summer of of twenty, which really churned the downtown. I do want to get back sometime soon and see it myself, but it's just heartbreaking what's happening to our cities in the west i will say this is a yeah. phenomena in the west and we talked about it a bit you know what this all has in common of course is a lot of progressive governance liberalization of drug laws etc you know to me you just can't separate the consequences of those policies from what's happening sadly on the ground in these places
0: yeah no i'm with you on that i mean this isn't the type of thing that's going on in miami there is homelessness in miami but it's it's nothing like what's happening in these West Coast cities. Unfortunately for those of us here in Colorado, it's kind of creeping into Denver a little bit too. We've had progressive governance in Denver for a while and it's not anywhere at the scale it is in San Francisco or Portland or Seattle, but it is something that seems to be spreading. And I think the sooner we can come to a consensus on how best to manage these cities and kind of get out of this doom loop of homelessness and crime and permissiveness around law enforcement, then you know, it's going to get worse.
1: Yeah, it's- fix it before they're the new Detroits. Yeah, right. That's All right, right, so that's a great episode. If someday we find ourselves on the Deschutes River, probably won't be for rafting, you're right, but it might be a good place to get a Coors Light any way you like it with some cowboys.
0: All right, well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for giving Eyeball Politics a shot, and the pun is always intended. Please join us for our next
1: episode as we pull up a bar stool and another politically and culturally important an interesting state and city or even a small town where we'll interview a bartender and find out what the locals are
0: drinking and what they're saying.
1: Until then, cheers Kochel. Cheers, Rob.
0: Highball Politics is a podcast presentation of Highball Media.
1: Executive producers are David Kochel and me, Rob Stutzman. Our producer is
0: Miranda Perham Please send your bartender nominations and any questions to highballpolitics at gmail.com.
1: And find us on social media. We're at Highball Podcast
0: on Twitter and Instagram. And if you were brave enough to make this week's signature cocktail, please remember to tag your pics of this week's with the hashtag Highball Podcast.
1: And if you want to support our show, please subscribe to Highball Politics wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five star review and please share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.